Church, <clears throat> I am Pastor Justin, one of the pastors here. Um, so we have uh, kind of a simple morning compared to what we've had last couple uh, Sunday mornings. We don't have baptisms again. Um, I just wanted to go swimming this week, and so we just left that in here. <laughs> but no, we don't have baptisms today. That'll, that'll get moved out of here. Um, this week, uh, but you are stuck with me this morning because Pastor Ed has been on vacation this past week. Um, he will be back uh, tomorrow. Um, so we also, uh, we're right kind of smack dab in the middle of summer, so as far as announcements, we don't really have um, all that many things that you don't know about. Um, really at the end of, we're, it's kind of crazy, it's July 10th. Um, but it is, at the end of this month, is the church camp out, uh, so if you want to sign up for that, you might still be able to. You'll need to talk to Nancy or Pastor Ed about that, uh, and then really just, uh, the biggest things that are happening is in the student world. We're getting ready to go to camp, not tomorrow, next Wednesday, next Monday, and then high school camp is the week after that. So lots of big things happening, but um, nothing really to talk that in detail about. Um, so yeah, we'll just jump right in into Psalm 127. Um, and today, um, this morning, I want to talk to you about um, finding rest. Um, today, the psalm that we're going to look at, Psalm 127, it is... Um, uh, we're going to go through, it, it's really giving us these principles and this idea of what rest is and what it looks like. Uh, rest is kind of a unique thing because it's obviously crucial uh, in every single stage that we're in in life. Rest is crucial that we get. Um, so right now for me, um, my critical need for rest comes from being a parent of a three-year-old, right? Uh, and we, we kind of have, have a son coming in September, and I, I heard a comedian say once that adding a kid to a family with kids is like you're drowning in a pool and somebody hands you a baby, right? Uh, so that's kind of on my horizon, but then right now kind of what we're dealing with and I shared this with you, not uh, with you parents, about not, not to get sympathy. I know you've been there. I just need you to know I can relate now. <laughs> um, you know, we are on like day 10, day 11 of potty training with Brindley. Um, and again, it brings on this just a whole new need for rest and for patience and for learning um, you know, and, and, and we're also in this stage with Brinley that she, uh, we're kind of at a negotiation stage. I didn't know you can negotiate with a three-year-old because they don't quite understand. It's kind of like trying to convince an untrained dog to roll over, right? It's just like you are trying to negotiate with her and you're like, hey, Brinley, do you need to go to the bathroom? No. Are you sure? No, I'm not sure. Okay. Well, does that mean you need to go to the bathroom? No. And you're like, okay, we're not going to go. And then five seconds later, you just see, whoosh. And you're like, oh, I guess you needed to go to the bathroom in the middle of the living room, right? 
And so what ends up happening is, you know, and we've gotten better with time, right? The first day was obviously the worst. Every 15 minutes, hey, do you need, need to go? Let's go, let's go, let's go. And you're just stopping everything you're doing. You're, just, you're going, you're going, you're going, you're going. So then as you progress, things hopefully get better, and they have for us. Um, but then you run into a different situation with them, with her, and you are like, Brindley, do you need to go to the bathroom? Yes. Okay, let's go. And so we, we walk, 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 and, and we were at Wesley Lynn this, this past weekend, and if you're the janitor there, I'm so sorry. Um, but we are walking, walking to the bathroom, and, and, and I thought she was good, and I get her right in front of the toilet, and then just whoosh. And you're just like, you were two inches away. And she just looks at you and she goes, sorry. <laughs> you were two seconds too slow. But then you get, it gets worse. Then you, then you get to the point of like, okay, when she says she's got to go, she's got to go. All right. So no matter what I'm doing, no matter where we're at, we're going to stop what we're doing and we're going to sprint to that bathroom. I will pick you up and carry you. I'm going to hold your legs together like that will help. Um, and we, <laughs> so yeah, you dad, I, you know, so we go to the bathroom and, and it goes well. And then like we're, we're to the point where she can hold it for a good little bit. And then she's like, dad, you know, 30, 40 minutes later, I got her to go to the bathroom. So I'm like, all right, let's go. So I pick her up. And we were a good, like, 50 yards from the bathroom, so I'm, like, you know, going. I got the dad walking, sprint going with the, with the daughter. And we get in there, and I put her on the toilet, and I'm like, yes, we made it, we made it. And then she doesn't go. And you're just like, Brindley, you said you had to go. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so that's my life right now. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired from potty training. I know you have been there. And then I, in my head this whole time, I'm like, oh, I get to do all of this again, again. Um, so that's, that's my need. That's my critical need for rest, right? Um, but as I said, right, we, no matter what stage of life we are in, we always need rest. It's not just for people who have toddlers, right? If you are a student, whether in high school, in college, and you're working super hard to get good grades and to build your resume and to get into college or to try to set yourself up for a job after college, right? It's, it's exhausting. You can be a young adult and you're trying to forge your identity and really create a career for yourself or figure out what the heck your career is going to be. Or you are doing a career on top of two or three side hustles, right? It's exhausting. Um, you, you're like me, and you have crumb snatchers at home, and it just no matter what happens, right, your mental and your physical health is being drained. Uh, maybe you are a parent of teenagers. Enough said. Um, <laughs> maybe, uh, you know, you are in your 40s, and, you're, and your kids or 50s, and your kids are moving off and creating a life for your own, and now you're just trying to figure out what does life look like after them for me and for this marriage. Uh, you're in your 60s, you are approaching retirement, and, and you're kind of uh, haunted or, or have a lot of thoughts of, have I saved enough? Have I planned enough? Am I ready? Am I, is this the right time to do it? Uh, maybe you're a fresh grandparent and you're like, what does this look like? I've heard it's a little easier, but you never know. Uh, <laughs> but you're a grandparent and you're, and you're trying to help your kids parent their kids and trying to find that balance of, of what is a good grandparent compared to a good parent. 
you're freshly retired. What do you do with your life now? Do I have purpose? Do I have an idea? Do I have, do I have meaning? Or maybe you're just at the end of your life or nearing the end of your life and, and you, you have questions of, what did I accomplish? What did I do? See, all stages of life, we, we find ourselves needing rest. We find ourselves in this critical need of rest. And it's not always just from a physical, like physically running 50 yards with your daughter to the bathroom, right? It, we find this need for rest, whether it can be physical, but it's obviously physical and mentally and emotionally and spiritually draining. And we find ourselves pouring ourselves out and out and out and out. How do we find rest? In Psalms 127, um, Solomon, which I'll talk about here in a second, he really kind of outlines what I feel are principles and, and questions for us to find rest. Um, Psalm, the Psalms, which we've already said, they're Psalms of Ascent. They kind of, they, they have a pattern of, of every three chapters, as I said last time. So the pattern kind of goes, we have a Psalm of Trouble, we have a Psalm of Trust, and then we have a Psalm of Triumph. Psalm 127 uh, is in the middle of the set of three, so it's really this uh, psalm of trust. But also, it's right smack, interesting enough, it's right smack dab in the middle of all of the psalms of ascents. And so the psalm begins with kind of this uh, subtitle, and it says, A Song of Ascents of Solomon. So this psalm is attributed to Solomon, and it, he is uniquely positioned to write this, right? Specifically about what it means to build a house and watch over a city, which we'll see in a second. Um, but Solomon, Scripture says in, in, in 1 Kings 4 that he was incredibly wise, that he had great insight and understanding. He was wiser than any other person of his time. But we see with Solomon, he fails to heed the wisdom that God gave him. He was a great builder. He was responsible for two of the greatest building projects in history, the Hebrew temple and Solomon's palace. Uh, and the, the temple ends up being one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. He built many, many things. He built whole cities. Um, however, he fails because he doesn't use the wisdom that God gave on himself. While a great builder, he was terribly, he was terrible at relationships. How many wives did he have? 700. <laughs> on top of that, he had 300 concubines. You know, one of the lines I used on my wife early on when we were dating is I said, Hey, babe, you know, Solomon only had 700 wives because he never met you. Uh, so if you are looking for a compliment, uh, and if you're wondering if I'm still a youth pastor, yes, I am. Uh, but uh, so Solomon writes this, um, this, this song, uh, and he outlines for us um, how we can truly receive rest. So let's get into it. Um, get into verse 1, and it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. 
the first thing we see that Solomon shows us is this principle. Unless there is a work beneath your work, your work will never satisfy. And for all your work, you will never taste rest. Throughout this, we're going to kind of, there's going to be a theme that I'm going to give to you, and it's basically using uh, the word vain. What is vain, and then we'll see later on what is valuable. We need to learn the difference. If we were to receive rest from God, we need to learn and understand the difference within our own lives of what is vain compared to what is valuable. Vain is empty or fruitless. Valuable in this context, I would say, is something that is going to bring us closer to God. Vain is empty or fruitless. Valuable is working towards God, bringing us towards God. The first principle we see with receiving true rest is we must reject empty work. While this term work, yes, of course, it can mean our job, it also goes, our 40-hour week, it, it goes much further, it expands much more than just simply that. It means parenting. It means taking care of your parents. It means volunteering at church. It means keeping at it in your friendships and your relationships, which can be obviously challenging. It means continuing to make amends with people, with family, with those who are around us, with coworkers, despite the challenges. Of course, it means work in general. Reject empty work. Empty work, I would say, is something, an activity, or a task, or a relationship, or a situation that seeks to glorify us, that seeks to glorify you. That's empty work. Valuable work, comparing to valuable work, as I've already said, glorifies God. And all of the things that I just outlined for you, relationships, work, situations, coworkers, activities, all of these things in of themselves are not bad things. But we know when we do those activities, those relationships, with purpose, with God at the center, with an effort to glorify God, compared to we are just going in it to glorify ourselves, we can always clearly see the difference between the two. Empty work leaves us up at the end of the night thinking about what we could have done better, what we should have done better. Did I really do that? Should I have said that? Should I, have, uh, should I be going down this path? Valuable work at the end of the night looks at us, and while, yes, we may not be perfect, and while, yes, we absolutely can reflect on, on how could I have faced that situation better, valuable work leaves you at the end of the night thinking, yes, God was glorified, I hope, I pray. Basically, it, it comes down to, do you expect your work to succeed because of you or because of God? Jesus says in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. Don't expect God to do your work for you, but don't expect your work to succeed without God. 
Invite God into your work and ask his blessing on it. We need to learn to pray like Moses does in in Psalm 90. And he says, May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us, us, establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of of our hands. God wants you to find blessing and fulfillment in your work, in your relationships, in your task, in your activities. But it will only happen when you put him at the center of those very things. Whatever your task, whatever you do, whether you're building a house, whether you're raising a family, whether you're guarding a city, uh, you put God at the center and you will find fulfillment in what you do. The first thing that we need to learn is if you want to know God's provision and blessing in your work, we must put God at the center of those activities. Without God, your work is in vain. The culture we live in, we, we, we now, right, we, we kind of, uh, it's a sim- mere resemblance of what we see of, of the Hebrew slaves in Scripture, right? The Hebrew slaves, their, their worth to their masters was in what they could produce, it was in what they could produce. The culture we live in now, it, it is similar. What can you offer me? Whether that be your work, whether that be your relationships, whether that be your activities, what can you do for me? Yet God comes along and he makes clear your worth is not what you can produce, but rather your worth is in me. What is vain is my work defines me, which will give me rest because it gives me purpose. It is empty. What is valuable is my work with God at the center gives it purpose and that will give me rest. It sounds very simple. I I tell the students a lot, right? It's not this hyper-spiritualization of everything in our lives. Because we can, we can kind of take two kind of approaches when we think of, okay, how, how am I going to put God at the center of everything I do? That seems like quite the task, right? It's not this over-spiritualization of, God, should I walk through this door, <laughs> right? It's not an over-spiritualization of, of every single thing. We're literally just this weird spiritual realm of fire walking around, and, and it makes kind of no sense, right? That's, that's an impossible kind of layout to put out there to, for you to achieve. But then the flip side of that coin is my work, my relationships, my value, everything is, is really about what I want to do and how I want to do it and what, how I want to approach it. And then it, it glorifies me. Rather, we think, I, th- I think the balance between these two things is we are intentional with our thoughts. We are intentional with our relationships. We are intentional with our conversations with one another. We are reminded daily of scripture of our own shortcomings, and, and we take that into our relationships, our task, our work. 
we have this mentality with us that we know that we are no better than those who are around us. In fact, we are just, just like them, and, but yet God loves me and God loves them. And so if there is any possible way I can show them that, whether through patience or kindness or grace or help, that's what I do. It's this mindset of, I know that the work that I'm doing has a purpose. I know that the work that I'm doing has value because I know I can use it to glorify God. But I also know that if I'm not intentional with it, it will only try to glorify myself. What is vain, my work defines me. What is value, God is at the center of my work and he gives it purpose. We move on to verse 2. And again, Solomon, he uses this word vain again. He says, In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Solomon brings, into, brings the term sleep, right? When we think of rest, we think of sleep. Now, and at times, of course, rest can be um, you know, at a cabin up on Mount Hood, drinking coffee next to a river, and you're just so happy, and that is rest, and you're not necessarily sleeping, at least for me. I don't know. Um, but he, he kind of brings into our key way of if, if that's all you ever do is sit on a river in, in Mount Hood and you don't ever sleep, it's not going to go well, right? He brings in the term sleep as a crucial uh, part of, of finding rest, and he's saying that there are two types of people when it comes to work and rest. The first would be because of their work, it so consumes their life, every single night they are staying up late for the sake of work, and then they wake up early because there is always more work to be done. For all of their work, they receive no rest. Sleep is interesting because it's like when you know, right, at least this is for me, when you know you need to sleep, can you sleep? No, you always, at least, yeah. Uh, you cannot work hard enough, you cannot do enough task to receive sleep. Rather, sleep is a surrender of yourself to, to, to be able to do it. The second type would be somebody who is deeply in sleep, and the reason Solomon says that they are able to sleep is because they are receiving the gift from God of rest. Solomon says that it doesn't matter what you do, you cannot work long enough or hard enough to achieve rest. Rest cannot be taken, it is given. It's sleep. We receive rest from God by trusting and placing faith in him, knowing that when we are sleeping, we know, despite no matter what we are doing, God is in control. And it brings us to this second principle of, of how do we receive rest, how do we receive sleep, and we must avoid unnecessary anxieties. Probably the thing uh, that gets in the way of sleep uh, is really, right, this stress and worry. Um, 
I, I, I kind of have a confession with this. Um, you know, I, I, I think there's a little bit, like my, my grandmother is a slight insomniac in some senses, and so I think at times I, I kind of have the same tendencies. Like there are some nights that just for whatever reason, no particular reason, I just can't, I can't sleep. And so what ends up happening is um, I'll kind of get up from the master bedroom and go to the guest room and uh, and put on the TV and just fall asleep. And it's probably not the most physically healthy thing to do, but I, I feel bad. I want to keep my wife up. She's got to get up in the morning and work and, and things like that. So there is that uh, small, small little snippet. However, a lot of those nights, I would say that when I am leaving to go down to the guest room, and because I can't, the reason I cannot sleep is because I am up worrying or anxious about something, whether it be job, whether it be a kid, whether it be what everything I have to do this week, whether it's because camp is coming up and I have 5,000 things to do, whether it be I'm preaching on Sunday morning. I don't, there's a lot of things that keeps me up at night, and there's probably similar and different things that keep you up at night. The University of Wisconsin it did a study on the things that people are worried about or are anxious about. Their conclusion was 40% of the things that people worry about never happen. 40% of the things that we worry about never happen. That's vain. It's empty. I find this interesting because I'm guilty of it. 30% we are are worried about or anxious about regarding something in the past. And we're all adults here. We know we can't do anything to change the past. Does that sound empty? 12% worry over the criticisms against either us or a loved one. 10% of us are up worrying about our personal health, which the last time I checked, worry actually does the opposite of improving your personal health. The study concluded that only 8% of what we are worried or anxious about are legitimate concerns. I remember one time as a teenager, um, we went to church on a Sunday morning, um, and the pastor, he kind of had a similar uh, snippet to what I am kind of getting into right now. It was, it was a sermon about, do not worry, do not be anxious. Um, and I just remember it was one of those sermons that it felt like he said that about 20,000 times. It was like just beating it into your head with a rubber mallet, right? Um, and my grandfather, we went to church with my grandfather, and my, and my grandfather was there. And, and I've talked to you guys about my grandfather before. He was uh, definitely known as the person whose prayers were always answered, right? We, we kind of had this joke, if, if you want a, a prayer answered, just go ask Grandpa. He'll pray about it. Apparently, he has some kind of much stronger connection to God than we do, and so it always happens, right? Um, but my grandfather, he was a prayer warrior. He really was. He, he would pray about everything more than once, and I can tell you it very, very hardly ever had to do with himself. His prayer life was powerful, but yet even though he had this this powerful prayer life and connection with God, he was also known as the family worrier. 
So if anything were to happen or if any stressful situation were to happen, right, we kind of had this dynamic of, okay, do we want to tell grandpa to pray about this so it'll be fixed? Or do we want to avoid telling grandpa about this because he's going to stress about it and then we're going to hear about it? So on this particular Sunday, we go to church and then we come home and it was in that afternoon, and, and we lived in West Virginia at a higher elevation, and so it was a, a snowstorm was supposed to come in in a couple of hours. My grandfather was a lot like you Oregonians, just the threat of snow just shuts him down, right? Um, and so he is uh, seeing, even though he grew up in Michigan, I'm like, Grandpa, you've seen way more snow than this. Um, but it was flat. Um, so there was a snowstorm that was kind of on the horizon it was it was approaching and I wanted being the wonderful wise teenager that Justin was um, I don't know where I wanted to go I wanted to go to the store or go hang out with my friend or, or something stupid like that and um, I remember I tell him grandpa I'm gonna go and he said no you're not I'm like yeah I am he said no the snowstorm's coming in and to which I looked at him straight in his eye and I said grandpa didn't you hear the preacher this morning and he kind of looked at me, he said, what? And he, I said, the preacher said, don't worry, don't stress. And he was obviously not thrilled about my response to, to, to him. But he just, he kind of backed off because I think he felt himself kind of boiling. Uh, and he just said, okay, whatever, go. And I ended up going, and then I ended up turning around because I got in a snowstorm. Surprise, surprise. Uh, but I remember with, with my response to my grandfather, I said, hey, the preacher said don't worry. Scripture says don't worry. So don't worry. The response to dealing with anxiety, with worry, and with stress isn't just stop. We wish it was that simple. And yes, there's, of course, situations that might be small that could be that simple, right? We wish it was that simple, but it's, it's not to say just stop. And there, of course, there is anxiety and stress things that, that require professional help, whether that be medication or, or, or uh, counselors or professionals, right? But as Christians... We know that when we trust in our own abilities, when we trust in our own grit, we lose that trust in God, and that creates in us this anxiety and worry and stress that can overwhelm us when we are the ones who are trying to accomplish everything on our own. We must avoid unnecessary anxieties. What is vain worry and anxiety what is valuable believing god will do what he says he will he will provide for us to this point in my life we my, megan and i we have this theme of of uh, it's more of a question and we, we find ourselves asking ourselves this, and, and sometimes I'm asking Megan, and sometimes Megan is asking me. But the question is, why would we doubt now? Why would we doubt now? When we take a second to step outside of the situation and look and see 
to see how God has provided for us up into this moment, no matter what situation we are facing, no matter what context or scenario that we are in, why would we doubt God now? If we are to look at situations in our life, right, and of course hindsight is twenty twenty, but let's use hindsight twenty twenty vision to shape of how we think of God as providing for us in the future. There have been so many situations in my own life, whether it be money, whether it be a relationship, whether it be a friendship, whether it be a job, whether it be maternity leave, whether it be all of these different situations in which we were placed in it and we, of course, we had anxiety. Of course, we had nights of worry. Of course, we had all of these unanswered questions. But reminding ourselves, why would we doubt God now? Vain is worry and anxiety about what if, what can I do, how can I solve this? Value is believing God will do what he says he will. We get to the second part of this psalm, and uh, it it takes a a different turn. So up into um, this moment, we've kind of talked about what is vain, what is empty, what is pointless. Um, And then these next four verses, three verses, they kind of switch to talk about what is valuable. And it says, Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. I, in this idea of, of how to obtain true rest, right, I obviously personally find it very funny, humorous, that Solomon ends this song with talking about children. <laughs> we see this third principle is, is shape future destinies. I've already kind of cracked my jokes about parenthood and about potty training, so I don't really need to make any more jokes about parenthood. Um, But we see here, we know that parenthood is exhausting. We know that the things that it requires of us are challenging, but yet Scripture makes clear that children are a gift from the Lord. They are your heritage and reward. Uh, I heard a illustrate or a saying about this or read it and it says a rich man said to a poor man who had many children he says these are they which make rich men poor (laughs) the poor man responded and he said no these are which make a poor man rich for there is not one of these whom we would part with for all of your wealth Raising children is this ultimate example of a sacrificial love. I would say especially, I would say this is true of especially as newborns, but I've worked with teenagers long enough to know that sacrificial love with children is forever. (laughs) To love, to nurture, to disciple, to raise a child, it it asks everything of us. We give up our lives, we give up our hobbies, we give up rest in, in some senses. We, 
uh, give up our, entrance, our interest in order to point children in the right direction. Yet, I f- what's interesting, what I love about this, with this, uh, this comparison to children and, and, and parenthood is, even though we do all of that, and, and hopefully we do, not all people do, but hopefully we, we are investing everything into our children, everything into this with an expectation of, of really no response, right? I, I remember, like, you know, with, with Brinley in the newborn stage, I just remember the first time she gave me a hug back, and I was like, oh, you too love me, <laughs> You know, and it took months because babies don't really hug you, right? And so you just, uh, you understand that, and, and this is your whole life, right? Not just with newborns, but you just continually are investing in yourselves and uh, in them and, and have this no expectation of anything back. And yet we know that even though we do all of that, we know that you can't, control your children. You can't make their decisions for them. You can't make decisions for them their whole life. You can't, you can't shelter them or hide them from all hurt, from all pain. You can't, you, you, your, your child is, is their own self. But yet we, we find that this, in, this investing ourselves, right, serving with, with no expectations back, right, that is what is of value compared to that. We know that controlling things does not equal rest. We know that you, you, know that you can't control your kids, you know that you can't control your loved ones. And, and we can take this further than just with kids, right? We, we know that in all of these situations that we are have, that we are losing rest over, whether that be parenting, a new job, an old job, uh, friendships, relationships, marriage, taking care of your parents, doing all of, all of these things, what we desire to do is really to control all of that. But we know that controlling all that does not give rest. What is vain is needing control. What is valuable is knowing and being content that, that God is working and that we do not need to control things. If we are ever to receive rest, we, we must place our, right, it's this idea of, of, of uh God can do it. God will do it. God is in the middle of it. It has more to do with God and less to do with me. Rest is we when we truly when we won't surrender fully everything to us, everything of ourselves to God. This is, this is like the last thing that we will surrender is our rest. But yet it is a clear indicator, it should be a clear indicator in our lives that if night after night we are up worrying and anxious and stressing about everything under the sun, we know that it is a clear, we should see it as a lack of clear trust in God. 
and that there is room for you and there is room for me to grow in this. Psalm 127, it's this beautiful psalm that teaches us to rest in God's blessing, whether that be at work or whether it be at home. All that we need comes from God. The house that brings protection comes from God. The city that gives us security and stability, it comes from God. The food and the daily provisions we need to sustain life comes from God. The children who support, who we invest in and eventually, hopefully they support us come from God. We can bring none of this about by ourselves. We sh- must be totally dependent on God in all of these areas and hand over the, the, the controls, hand over, you know, there, there was always that really cheesy bumper sticker, right? That's, and if this is your bumper sticker, I'm sorry. Um, that, you know, God is my co-pilot, right? And I remember there was always this reaction to is, God's not your co-pilot. God is your, co- God is your pilot, right? So there was always that kind of debate with it, right? But it is, in fact, true of For us to fully surrender to God, we have to give him the steering wheel. We have to give him the reins. We have to give him the lead. We have to give him, we have to give him the spot in our lives that is number one. We have to recognize that we are mere humans, that we are sinners, and that we are flawed. But yet he loves us anyways. If you are trying to build your life apart from God, that is vanity, it is vain, it is empty. If you're adding worry and stress and anxiety on top of that, I would say that is insanity. But if you are building upwards to God and outwards to people, to your kids, to your family, you can find rest. Will you live a life of vanity separated from God, or will you live a life of value and purpose fully surrendering to God? Why would you doubt now? Let's pray.